The following is a reflection for the readings for Saturday on the sixth week of Easter. The first reading is from Acts chapter 18, 23 to 28. The responsorial psalm is Psalm 47, and the gospel is John chapter 16, verses 23 to 28. In today's first reading, we are introduced to a new character by the name of Apollos. The only thing we are told is that he was an eloquent speaker and well-versed in sacred scripture, and had been instructed in the way of the Lord, but that his knowledge of Jesus is somewhat limited because he only knew about the baptism of John. Yet we are also told that he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately things about Jesus. I find this rather remarkable. Here is a person who does not know Jesus completely and yet is burning with enthusiasm, so much so that he just must proclaim at least what he knows. There is a lesson for us here. Sometimes we can be intimidated about proclaiming Jesus Christ because we feel that we are not educated enough. We are not theologians. We can't read the scriptures in the original languages, and we don't know all the historical critical methods of interpretation. And yet we all have experienced God in our lives. We have all journeyed with Christ in the sacraments and in the liturgy of the word. So, Although our knowledge is incomplete and will always be so this side of heaven, this should not inhibit us from sharing how Christ has worked in our lives and what the faith means to us. This is the essence of the new evangelization. That is, we are called to share what we do know about the faith. At the same time, we should never be satisfied with where we are at. We should always be yearning to know more so that we can be even more effective in our sharing and fulfill the command of St. Peter, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Fortunately, today's gospel provides us with an ideal means for growing in our knowledge of Christ. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. I cannot think of a more worthy prayer than to ask for a better understanding of the faith. Finally, I would like to reflect in some detail on the power of sacred scripture and why we should read it daily. Apollos was not the only person who was burning with enthusiasm from studying the scriptures. In Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 16, the prophet says, quote, When I found your words, I devoured them and they became the joy and the happiness of my heart. And in chapter 20, verse 9, quote, His word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. We also have the testimony from the saints, how reading or hearing the word of God powerfully changed their lives. For St. Augustine, in his autobiography, The Confessions, it was the scriptures that finally broke the chain that had imprisoned him in his lust. I will now quote selections from the famous Book 8 in his Confessions in which he relates the drama of his conversion. Quote, in a spirit of thankfulness, let me recall the mercies you lavished on me, O my God. To you let me confess them. May I be flooded with love for you until my very bones cry out, Who is like you, O Lord? Let me offer you a sacrifice of praise, for you have snapped my bonds. How you broke them I will relate, so that all your worshippers who hear my tale may exclaim, 
Blessed be the Lord, blessed in heaven and on earth, for great and wonderful is his name. In my daily life, everything seemed to be teetering, and my heart needed to be cleansed of the old leaven. I was attracted to the way, which is our Savior himself, but the narrowness of the path daunted me, and I could still not walk in it. In my daily life, everything seemed to be teetering, and my heart needed to be cleansed of the old leaven. I was attracted to the way, which is our Savior himself, but the narrowness of the path daunted me, and I could still not walk in it. I ached, but it was no iron chain imposed by anyone else that fettered me, but the iron of my own will. The enemy had my power of willing in his clutches, and from it had forged a chain to bind me. The truth is that disordered lust springs from a perverted will. When lust is pandered to, a habit is formed. When habit is not checked, it hardens into compulsion. A new will had begun to emerge in me, the will to worship you and enjoy you, O God, our only sure felicity. But it was not yet capable of surmounting that earlier will strengthened by inveterate custom, and so the two wills fought it out, the old and the new. I felt myself loathsome, remembering how many of my years, twelve perhaps, had gone to waste. I had been extremely miserable in adolescence, miserable from its very onset, and as I prayed to you for the gift of chastity, I had even pleaded, Grant me chastity and self-control, but please, not yet. I had been telling myself that my reason for putting off day after day the decision to renounce worldly ambition and follow you alone was that I could as yet see no certain light by which to steer my course. But the day had dawned when I was stripped naked in my own eyes and my conscience challenged within me. Where is your ready tongue now? You have been professing yourself reluctant to throw off your load of illusion because truth was uncertain. Well, it is certain now, yet the burden still weighs you down. While other people are given wings on freer shoulders, people who have not worn themselves out with research nor spent a decade or more reflecting on these questions, my conscience gnawed away at me in this fashion, and I was fiercely shamed and flung into hideous confusion. Was anything left unsaid in my inner debate? Was there any whip of sage advice that I left unused to lash my soul into coming with me as I tried to follow you? I fought and resisted, but could find no excuse. All its arguments had been used up and refuted, but there remained a dumb dread. Frightful as death seemed, the restraining of habit's oozy discharge, that very seepage which was rotting it to death. Within the house of my spirit, the violent conflict raged on, the quarrel with my soul that I had so powerfully provoked in our secret dwelling, my heart. So I went out into the garden. I was groaning in spirit and shaken by violent anger, because I could not form resolve to enter into a covenant with you, though in my bones I knew that this was what I ought to do. Such was the sickness in which I agonized, blaming myself ever more sharply, turning and twisting in my chain as I strove to tear free from it completely, for slender indeed was the bond that still held me, but hold me it did. I flung myself down somehow under a fig tree and gave free rein to the tears that burst from my eyes like rivers, 
as an acceptable sacrifice to you. Many things I had to say to you, and the gist of them, though not with precise words, was, O Lord, how long, how long will you be angry forever? Do not remember our age-old sins, for by these I was conscious of being held prisoner. I uttered cries of misery. Why must I go on saying tomorrow, tomorrow? Why not now? Why not put an end to my depravity this very hour? I went on talking like this and weeping in the intense bitterness of my broken heart. Suddenly, I heard a voice from a house nearby, perhaps a voice of some boy or girl, I do not know, singing over and over again, Pick it up and read, pick it up and read. My expression immediately altered. I stemmed the flood of tears and rose to my feet, believing that this could be nothing other than a divine command to open the book and read the first passage I chanced upon, for I had heard the story of how Anthony had been instructed by a gospel text. He happened to arrive while the gospel was being read and took the words to be addressed to himself when he heard, Go and sell all you possess and give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So he was promptly converted to you by this plainly divine message. Stung into action, I returned to the place where Elpius was sitting, for on leaving it I had put down there the book of the Apostles' letters. I snatched it up, opening it, and read in silence the passage on which my eyes first lighted. Not in dissipation and drunkenness, nor in debauchery and lewdness, nor in arguing and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh or the gratification of your desires. I had no wish to read further, nor was there need. No sooner had I reached the end of the verse than the light of certainty flooded my heart and all dark shades of doubt fled away. I closed the book and told Alpius what had happened. My face was peaceful now. End of quote. There are many interesting points in this passage. First, we see that Augustine's conversation took place under a fig tree, and this brings to mind his fall as a young boy under a pear tree as he stole indiscriminately for the mere sake of stealing. Secondly, the fathers of the church saw the tree of life in the Garden of Eden as a fig tree, and related that to the cross of Christ, so that Jesus is the fruit of the tree, and his blood that drops to the ground falls upon Adam and Eve. Third, Augustine relates within his own conversion story the account of Anthony of Egypt, who heard a gospel text being read in church that converted him so dramatically that he sold his possessions and began the great monastic movement. Fourth, the most important point of Book 8, as this dramatic account illustrates, is the sheer power of the scriptures that broke Augustine free from the chains that so tightly bound him. At the heart of this transforming power is the Holy Spirit. St. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 states that all scripture is inspired by God, the actual translation is God-breathed. Scripture is therefore living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating even to dividing soul and spirits, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, as Hebrews chapter 4 states. It's not just a collection of dead works from long ago, 
but present, dynamic, and powerful. Thus, St. Paul says to his community in Thessalonica, quote, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. End of quote. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the human writers with the Word of God is therefore still active in the text today and for all time, so that a St. Augustine who read Romans chapter 13 hundreds of years after it was first written encountered that power personally. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is active in the soul who receives the biblical text disposing that person to believe and understand since the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth, as we saw in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21, it can help the hearer penetrate more deeply into divine realities, thereby understanding God's will. This was the case with St. Francis of Assisi and St. Teresa of Lisieux, who each received life-changing counsel for their ministries from the Scriptures. Francis and his followers who would embrace a life of evangelical poverty from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19, verses 21, and Therese, who would receive her more excellent way of love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Another way of disposing the believer to a greater openness in receiving and understanding is by pruning that person to repent of sin, and especially the sin of pride. That is what held back St. Augustine as much as his lust. He, at first, as a young man, rejected the scriptures because of the perceived callousness of the text as compared to some of the more elegant prose of Greek wisdom literature and the secret wisdom of the Manichaeans. But even as Augustine grew to know that the Catholic faith was true and that the scriptures were inspired, he resisted the simple way of surrender because of his prodigious learning. What was needed was humility, and he is brought to his knees because lust had so controlled him. One is reminded of the text in Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, who not only inspires the sacred writer and imbues the sacred text, but also prepares the sinner to receive more fully the divine mystery and be so transformed by it as to bear the hundredfold harvest. This is exactly what happened with Augustine. Once converted and baptized, he burst forth with such abundant spiritual fruit that he is considered one of the greatest, most influential theologians in the history of the Church. As we saw in Book 8 of the Confessions, the Holy Spirit was preparing Augustine by breaking up the pride of his heart and clearing away the thorns of lust that choked his soul so that he became the good soil that was very receptive to the seed of God's word. The statement of St. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 would characterize Augustine's ministry, quote, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. End of quote. One further aspect of the Holy Spirit is that, being the love of the Father and the Son, that love is poured into the text and through it to us. The scriptures are, after all, not merely a history book or a science text, but a love letter, and we are part of the drama. 
we are being drawn into the heart of the Trinity, into the divine exchanges of love. Passages like Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, quote, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Clue us in that God desires relationship, even marriage, and to facilitate that nuptial bond, he unveils in the scriptures the secrets of his heart, giving us access so that we can know God from the inside, and by knowing and loving God, more truly know and love ourselves, since we are created in God's image and likeness. There are many other reasons for reading and meditating the scriptures daily. One is that, as the word of God is appropriated by us, the foundation of our lives is built up so that despite the storms and challenges, we will not be shaken. The same God who spoke the universe into existence and maintains it in being will abide, indeed become incarnate in our souls. Other matters which vie for our attention like money, pleasure, power, esteem, and possessions are like sand that in the end will be swept away. But as the psalmist declares, quote, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. End of quote. Psalm 62, verses 5 to 8. We saw, for example, in the book of Daniel, that despite being uprooted from his home and deported to a foreign pagan kingdom, and subjected to forced retraining and social engineering so as to serve his new king, Daniel stood firm and did not capitulate in fear. Rather, it was Nebuchadnezzar who trembled from his dreams that no wise man in Babylon could interpret except for Daniel. As well, the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when faced with an angry king for not bowing down to worship his false image, said, Our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. No doubt the source of this stability and courage was the foundation these believers had in the Torah, the writings, and the prophets. As well, we see Daniel studying the book of Jeremiah in chapter 9 to discern the duration of their captivity. Being grounded in God's word was the rock upon which these beleaguered saints stood. Not only is the word our foundation, but in its dynamism it is disposing our minds to be as God is. We are being swept up in the word's very life and inclination so that we are transformed from glory to glory. We are more in act, substantial, and real. Our disposition is opened up to receive more grace. This is the mutual abiding that God desires, and why Apollos and Jeremiah were said to have their hearts burning within them, and why the highest angelic beings closest to the Trinity are called seraphs, which literally means the flaming ones. It is also why Apollos was so effective as a preacher and evangelist, since the dynamic word in him caused the hearer of his message to burn with desire for more. Finally, sacred scripture is valuable to read because it brings us God's wisdom. This was the advice given by St. Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, quote, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know 
those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. End of quote. In the Old Testament, wisdom was the one gift King Solomon prayed for and God granted. And so the book of Proverbs begins with this statement. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance of the wise. End of quote. Such wisdom comes through God's word. As the psalmist said in Psalm 119, quote, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. End of quote. The Old Testament is valuable to read because, as St. Paul states, the events described therein were written down for our edification. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in particular, he reminds the Corinthian church that the exodus out of Egypt, Israel being led by the cloud through the Red Sea, the eating of manna from heaven, drinking from the rock, all prefigure our deliverance from sin through baptism, the supernatural food of the Eucharist, and our union with Christ. But, just as the Israelites of that day perished in the wilderness through ignorance, unbelief, and idolatry, we too will face judgment if we fail to learn the lessons and grow in understanding. When we do, then God will use us in a powerful way to build up his kingdom. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 to 52, quote, Therefore every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. End of quote. Finally, the scriptures become wisdom for us when we step into the stories and make them our own. In other words, rather than thinking, isn't that great what God did for Israel in its deliverance out of Egypt and for Daniel in giving him wisdom, we say rather, isn't it awesome that God is doing that for me now, forgiving me, healing my past wounds, pouring out his spirit so that Pentecost is today, bringing me into his friendship now. And so, as St. Paul encourages us in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. End of quote. Then, like Apollos, St. Augustine, St. Francis of Assisi, and St. Teresa of Lisieux, and today's psalmist, we will worship the Lord with gladness and come into his presence singing, Alleluia, Alleluia. <laughs> 